You are listening to Proudly Resents. Oh, reason. I, I can't even I hear you. Well. Hi, this is Sammy Wazell. Uh, Proudly Resents. The Cult Movie Podcast. The Adam Biggest Men Show. To all you Proudly Resents listeners out there, just remember, you can't touch on hospitality. I want it. All right, welcome to Proudly Resents, proudlyresents.com. The cult movie podcast. Usually we, we cover uh, great bad movies. Today we kind of have an exception. There are two <laughs> great guests. We have uh, Chris Regan, writer, comedian, and just co-writer of William Shatner's latest book, Shatner Rules, which means Shatner talked a lot, Chris, and you wrote a lot. Yeah, it's kind of. Uh, uh, he had a lot of great stories, and I, uh, I kind of lassoed those stories into a uh, into a book form. Yeah. And then uh, just the other voice, so we don't. You feel like you can talk, Paul? Okay, thank you. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> want to say anything. Your hands. <laughs> I've not been introduced yet, so uh, Paul. Oh, that's good. Forget it. Anyway, Chris, tell me more about you. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. We started back in June. Yes. Start back in June. Uh, no, Paul Sully Sullivan, of course. <laughs> SullyBaseball.com. dot com. Of course. Producer, writer, director of. First time caller. I'll believe you. Whatever it's called now. I'll believe you. It's had about fifteen more title changes since this show began. But how many title changes do you do just so you can resell it? Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? Well, I, I I still call it first time caller, but it was released under I'll believe you. So what are you going to do? So so if there's any video stores left, you can go. Uh, sell you sound like you're going to hang yourself. <laughs> Listen, it was a good. Now, now, can can you live stream the film? I think you can. I know we're on. I know we're on Netflix. You may be able to live stream it. It's, uh, it's if you if you want, I can come to your home with a copy of it and yeah, show you. And just try. It's called show business. That's yeah, right. Got to get the word out. Well, then. here's how you live stream it. You walk by Sully's uh, living room and you look in his window. He's sitting there watching it and crying with his pants have, down. We have a whole room just devoted to it. It's like the Christmas Story loop on uh, on TBS. We have the All Believe You loop, and yeah. I showed my kids it 48 times. Like we know, Dad. We know it's about a radio station. So. It's about a, yeah. So, and we're here to talk about a movie, um, possibly worse than I'll Believe You. Just kidding. Nothing no. to do with I'll no. Believe You. No, but it's uh, <laughs> it was the inspiration for I'll Believe You. Actually, <laughs> it's a remake. This movie came out in The Glimmer Man, starring Steven Seagal and Keenan Ivory Wayans. Who I was looking him up. Uh, you can hire Keenan to speak to your corporations. Really? So this is how times have changed. There's a movie that was co-headlined by Seagal and Wayans. Seagal is a cop for reality show purposes, and Wayans will go to your corporate luncheon and talk about Homie the Clown. Well, what a difference 15 Because it's 1996, right? Yeah. yeah. Although it looks like it was made in 1986. Yeah. It, it really was. Really, I really was shocked when I looked at the day because it's just like Lethal Weapon. Yeah. yeah. And the credits have these kind of like little, there's a little laser spark around everyone's name and they kind yeah. of fly in and out. And there's, it's a. Uh, well, that's, there's been, when 48 Hours came out in 82, there was like, it became the template. I mean, I, that predates Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon was probably the best. 48 hours ripoff but it was there was a period of time especially in the 90s where there was just if you were a black actor you will eventually be paired with a white actor and be you know basically well, bulletproof with um, bulletproof. Damon Wayans and uh, Fled was one which is I guess they were con uh, ex-cons but you had the um the, the most ridiculous... I was convinced that studios had a big wheel with every black actor's name and every white actor's name, and they spun it, and whichever two ended up starred in a film. The worst one was... God, what was it called? The one with Chris Rock and Anthony Hopkins. Was it Bad Attitude? Oh, oh I don't remember. It was... Career. I saw it. But, 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 but that, that is the way that they came up with Driving Miss Daisy, too. <laughs> 
That makes total sense. Yeah. She was a little rebellious, uh-huh. and he was by the book. But that was. But think about all the films, and and it usually was a white actor and a black actor because that's what Forty Eight Hours was, and it also was. That's the clearest way you could show two people are different. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, right. So you but, know who's who. But you know, even some films that were good films, like you know, Midnight Run was a good film, but it was a this guy's a this person, this guy's a that person, and they're shooting at him. Can they survive with each other? I mean, it was that like was every movie had to have that. Yeah, and they did it with Men and Dogs with a Canine. Yeah, they did it with um, Whoopi Goldberg and T Rex. She teamed up with <laughs> yeah. the Dinosaur. Theodore Rex. Yeah, Theodore, Theodore Rex. Rex. That was a- the most expensive movie to ever go straight to video at the time that it came out. Uh, really? Yeah. And yeah. They, they, it may have been beaten, uh, but I think it cost like thirty million at the time, and boom. I'll believe you was not straight to video, just so you know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we beat out Theodore Rex. So. You were in the theater longer than Theodore Rex. <laughs> yes, exactly. I have that going for. By me. the way, the, we saw. Did you see in the theater here in L.A.? Uh, I'll believe you. Yes. Yes, I did. We saw, and Sally, we all saw your movie in the theater, and the theater's now closed. It's now a Forever 21. That's so, called the Beverly Cinema. It's yeah. called, wow, I forgot about it. I think it was the last movie they ever showed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was where we got booked into, a place about to be demolished. <laughs> we, we also got booked into Cinema Paradiso. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like the Jackie Chan, uh, Chris Tucker one was like that. That's formula. all the same, exact same formula. Yeah. You and know? It, and it all, it's all based on kind of a fish out of water idea in that a black guy and a white guy would never work together <laughs> or interact under any circumstance. I saw this in the movie theater. The I saw this at the Glimmer Man in 1996 uh, with my brother and my, <laughs> my then brother. No, my, no, my, my, no, he's still my brother and his then wife. And um, we went to the Worldwide Cinema on on Eighth Avenue, 8th Avenue and Fiftieth, where they would show films for like three bucks. Yeah, and we I, we got four bucks worth of entertainment with this film. <laughs> I also saw that movie in Worldwide Cinema, two dollars. My brother was in town from San Francisco visiting. What do we do? We go see Glimmer Man. I wonder if we were in the same theater because I don't think I knew you then. No, but I we left. We walked out of oh, this I movie. I was, I, 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 it was so bad. It was one of the few films. I walked out of a lot of movies in that theater because it was only two bucks. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, we walked out of that movie by, and I, you, by 20 minutes in. The, the 18th rain scene, I think I was just like, I can't <laughs> see know, anything. What? I don't know what's well, going on. I, yeah, for anyone who's seen the movie, it is raining every other scene and then later on in the film they have a shot of a, a TV and a weatherman saying this has been the rainiest winter on well, I think that I think that was there to justify it because I, it was obviously there for mood that the, the rain right. to make it look I mean, this came out after seven as well and there was sort of an there was kind of an ugliness to this film which had the with the serial killer where they're cutting to it so I think they were throwing a little That's of right. that seven vibe to mm-hmm. it and so it was that film it was constantly raining and yeah, yeah, and halfway through it, it suddenly appears to be in Rome. Like there's there's this kid there's this kid you see at the beginning of the film, and he he's a, he's as big a MacGuffin as he'll ever get. Like he's a kid, he's threatening, and Segal comes in, but then later he winds up in a convent that's candlelit yeah. in this kind of Romanesque villa somewhere that's supposed to be in Los Angeles. We can go back to just real quick the Worldwide Plaza. This is the set the scene that we're there that you saw this movie in. I saw it. Yeah, there's people uh, eating Chinese food. Mm-hmm. There's homeless people. Yeah. And there's large Mexican families with all their kids that are raised. Puerto Rican families. It was New York. Oh, I'm sorry, it was that New York. <laughs> it's New York or Puerto Rican. Living over 10 years. Yeah, it, used, yeah. it used to be a place where. Uh, Puerto Rican and Dominican families. Where, were there. where homeless folks could just jump from one theater to the other. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah. yeah. A lot of people really put down stakes at Worldwide Plaza. But I, but it was a, I loved going to Worldwide Plaza because you could see two or three movies in a day and only spend, you know, wind up between that and popcorn spending six bucks total. But. 
when we went there, it was so it was my brother, my then sister in law, and me. Uh, a Dominican family behind us, and like a couple other people there, and 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 we were the only white people in the theater because you know Seagal draws in all minorities to his his films, and the first scene that Seagal appears in when he's in Kane and Ivory Wayans' office and he stands up, there was and he has a. Belly. This is the beginning of the. <laughs> this belly. is the very beginning of the scene. He's in a. He, I mean, it's not like oh, he's built or maybe maybe nope. maybe he's kind of you know muscular and block. No, it's obvious that it's a belly. There was an audible gasp <laughs> in the theater, and the place burst out in laughter. And they, this is this is an action star. Well, it's all lit. Maybe the rain was to cover the the gut, but it was all lit to kind of. And he wore vests. Yeah, that well, hit well, he wore. In, in some scenes, he's wearing a black suit, usually against a black background, so he's kind of a floating head mm. with a point. But in other scenes, he's dressed like um, he's wearing quilted Chinese waiter jackets. You know, he's he has Most these crazy scenes, yeah. kind of like Sonny Bono yeah. uh, mid sixties outfit. Which kind of makes me think that at some point he had a stake in some kind of fashion company. It was just like, okay, if I'm going to be in this movie, I have to wear these crazy nutty clothes. Because he's wearing outfits that you never saw another human being ever wear throughout the film. I have another theory. I have a theory that he – his whole Buddhism thing, which which is – that's his wackiness. That it's – Kenan Ivory Williams is – a black guy, a generic black guy. There's no, he has no. They constantly force things into him. He likes old movies, I guess. Or he, yes, yeah, yeah. Or like, oh yeah, they they were looking for something. Something mm-hmm. yeah, like you know, he just loves the song of Burning Dead or whatever movie he was watching. <laughs> and but his wackiness is that he's a Buddhist. And I'm convinced that Seagal converted to Buddhism when he realized that they wore those kind of mumus as opposed to like, you know, Schwarzenegger can have his shirt off and he looks you know, ripped. Or Stallone has a shirt off, he looks ripped and Van Damme. Yeah. And he can't do that anymore. So, no, no, I look cool, man. I'm, you know, that was like... That, Born again Christians wear tight shirts. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or or he he, he picked the most slimming religion he could possibly find. <laughs> we wear a tallest, like a scarf, and that would have covered up his man boots. Notice that throughout the film, this became kind of the, the the game that we were playing when we were watching the film um, back in '96, and also when I was watching it the other night to sort of give myself a refresher, because you need a refresher of the Glimmer Man. Um, to immediately forgettable. Notice all the things that are strategically placed in the shot to cover his gut. Uh-huh. Like that would be like a drawer would open, <laughs> like uh, there'd be a TV monitor, someone's carrying a canoe across the screen, you know? <laughs> anything to be gut level. To, and there's a great part when he goes into the house and finds, I guess, his ex-wife or something in one of the many plots that are discarded mm-hmm. midway through. Um, as he's running, he they have like a, I think it's a steady cam shot where he st- start with him in the car and he runs all the way upstairs. He is framed from the bottom of his man boobs up the entire <laughs> shot. And you know the director's like, never tilt down, never yep. tilt down, because he's running, and that's probably the belly is sort of like oh, you know, up flopping like up and down. I mean, this is, that's the best makeup could make him look. And, yeah. and the fact that he's named the Glimmer Man, which we get the explanation for, I checked, at an hour and five minutes into the film. <laughs> of, a, of a 90 minute movie. Yes. Uh, yeah. 25 minutes what left. What is the explanation? Well, well it's, it's, 
Yeah, you but, forgot. Well, but, I, I, uh, 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 Brian Cox is there playing the Brian Cox character, and uh, he explains. <laughs> need a Brian Cox. He type. explains that in Vietnam, which is sub is uh, Vietnam War service is constantly popping up in Steven Seagal's own personal narrative, even though apparently there's it's still twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, yeah, and he he was never in Vietnam. Um, but, but they explain that in Vietnam he was this killer who was so good and so s- stealthy that people would only catch a glimmer of him before he killed them. And there's nothing stealthy about this guy in the movie. He's That's just so kind great. of lumbering through everywhere. Yeah, the only you did a glimmer in here. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Boom. It's like the Boom. Jurassic Park. You see the, the, your, the water <laughs> sort of rippling as he's showing up, you know? Do you think they would at least catch a glimpse of his Nehru jacket or something? <laughs> Do you think, so Glimmer Man, when they call him Glimmer Man yes. now, is it ironic? Are they using air quotes when they say, oh boy, here comes the Glimmer Man? Well, I mean, is it, because... It just, it, it just right towards the end of the movie, it's almost like, oh, we forgot to tell people why this movie is called Glimmer Man. Yeah. yeah. And we learn that it's his nickname. He never brings it up. No one ever brings it up. It's just this character sort of offers this information. And you kind of wonder if Seagal at some point said, I'd like to make a movie called Glimmer Man. You know? <laughs> and then they found some sort of screenplay and sort of like retrofitted this, this bizarre it, it, it struck me as maybe that was something that was in a scene that was... Because deli- there was... Oh, pro- I mean, this was 90 minutes. So you know there was stuff that was cut out. <laughs> and I'm sure there was something at the top. And maybe it maybe even have been a narrative at the beginning, like uh, back when I was in Vietnam. <laughs> and because the opening credit scenes is so awkward and ugly, and I think we're just trying to emulate both Lethal Weapon and Seven at the same time, because they they would cut to these shots of like people like cru- cru- crucified, crucified and like bleeding, jump cuts and so, camera. Kind so of these are two cops who are looking to find this killer that kill that kills people like a religion. Yeah. They, they kill him and then they crucify him and they put. It's supposed to be religious symbols, but it looks like a four-year-old finger painted on your wall. Yeah, yeah, it's it, like a house and, there's a, and a, a stick figure. It, it starts off where, where Seagal says to Keenan Ivory Wayans after they get by with some sort of "I don't like partners" business, where the obligatory he, isn't yes, it? I don't like partners, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, well, hey, you're wearing oh. you're wearing lo- lo- love beads, blah blah blah. And uh, there's a scene where Seagal asks about the murders and says, "Is there any connection between them?" And Keenan Ivory Wayans says, "No." Except for the fact that they're all Catholic and they're posed in crucifixion poses. <laughs> I'm going to say that's a pretty strong connection between all the Maybe murders. the thing is that he's such a bad cop, Keenan Ivory Wayans, because he does a lot of mistakes like that. They're like, we'll bring in the remedial team. Yeah, he's a bad cop, and at the end, for some reason, they present him as a coward. <laughs> like just at the, well, that's at the, the racist end. thing about these movies. Yeah. The black guy always comes out like the coward. By the way, yeah. you, you notice who the producer of this film was? Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal produced this movie. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. That's so why. This is clearly, he was like, I got this idea of a title. But no, the movie is kind of MacGuffin after MacGuffin. At, like, it's present, like you, there's a serial killer, there's a kid up top. We learn, we learn about the serial killer right away. Yeah. And then, we, then, then there's that weird scene with the kid. So they're going to investigate the serial killer. They get a call on the, on the CB that there's a kid holding people hostage. Keenan says, I'm, I'm a coward. I love that you say the CB. Well, like, breaker, breaker. <laughs> you know, they have the little CB. They cut good, to it. 10-4, good buddy. Yeah, he was kind of the same you know, insert I, from I didn't Clint even Eastwood think about movies. that. They're in the middle of a city. They get a random call, which is not homicide, and they decide to go to investigate. And that, has, and that has to do with... With the, their murder their investigation. Murders, yes. By the end. Yeah, no, but he says, uh, Keenan Ivory says, 
we can't do this. We're homicide, not suicide. And he says, we got to do this. This is what we do. Well, he says we have to do it because we're compassionate. And this is the same character who later in the film tortures Brian Cox with a handgun. Like shoots him in the foot and shoots him in the hand. And apparently has no compunction about breaking people's bones all the time. Yeah. But, 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 but yeah, there's this incredible nutty right turn or left turn into a city of 10 million people. They manage to go to a... <laughs> a crime that's not on their beat and discover a character who is intimately involved in the plot. So this guy is holding... And, and, it's a, and it's a weird it's a weird high school... Like, like he starts to yell at a monk for yeah, some yeah, reason. Yeah. Like, they're like, it's not just it's like a Catholic school. It's like there's... It's a really Catholic school. They're like the, they're like the monks walking in the Holy Grail smacking their heads with uh, <laughs> the planks of wood. You have two sons, right? I have... Uh, yes, I do. Do they go to private school? No, we go, to, we go to public school. But if they went to private school and you paid money like for a Catholic school... Yeah. You're spending a lot of money. Yeah. You want fucking monks, you want nuns, you want crucifixes. <laughs> okay, you know well, yes, okay. It was Parents' Day and they hired a couple of actors to walk around. Yes, well, fine, fine. Yeah, that's heads. why we go to public school. I don't want any of that crap. But yeah, yeah, bells but it, and whistles. But yeah, the, it was weird. Then he has this sort of, you know, he's talking, on the, he's talking through the loudspeaker and like, yeah, just, I, you know, I'm on, he's like, I'm unarmed, so he's loading up his gun, so he's lying to the kid right mm. there. And then he, <laughs> also very, uh, a very Buddhist precept. And, and, and then tackles the kid. <coughs> Throws the kid out a window, but apparently jumps like up instead of down and across an alleyway into uh, another building. Well, like, well, well, when you have that much weight hitting you all at once, <laughs> I, mean, uh, I don't know the physics of that. It exactly. looked like the museum in New York with a whale hanging from the. <laughs> That's what you see. And they stole a line from Silverado. They said the best line in Silverado is, "I don't want to kill you." With Danny Glover, as oh. going back to Dreams Week, uh, Danny Glover says, "I don't want to kill you, and you don't want to be dead." Steven Seagal comes in and says, I don't want to kill you and you don't want to be dead. So it's, I, I know I'm nitpicking there, but... No, because the movie is, it steals every, everything else. I guess so. as well. well it, and that's, that, by the way, is the first of about 20 windows that people fly through in the movie. There's a lot of... The window every budget is very high in the yeah, film. Yeah, it's like an old episode of the Wild Wild West or Bonanza or something. <laughs> like Everything is a saloon fight and there's a plate glass window nearby. And also, when, when, the, when he's in a car with the Russian mobsters, they crash through about seven or eight glass things and I kept expecting someone to be like pulling a bin full of fluorescent lights at one point just that <laughs> bus boy with a bunch of glasses yeah, in a bin bring this mirror across no but yeah but there's also a apart from the, the serial killer who's named the family man which is the only duller name they could come up with outside of the Glimmer Man. <laughs> um, there's a serial killer. Then there's a plot involving Russian mobsters smuggling nerve gas into the United States, which is being brokered by Bob Gunton, who is the stepfather of the kid that we see in the beginning of the movie where the guys somehow encounter by accident. You're giving it too much credit. Because <laughs> like, what this is, is it's just Seagal wanted to do some sort of lethal weapon 48 hours film. And they just—it's not a movie; it's a movie-flavored product. And it just kind of—it kind of just says, if we just say it's the Russian mob, it's a serial killer. Hey, this is connected to this. It sounds like there's a plot going. It's all buzzwords, there's but no there writing. isn't. Yeah, but there is no real plot. If you had taken those scenes out of out and just hit shuffle and just put them in different order, it would have made just as much sense. Would you think like maybe you got caught not writing the movie and they go, "What are you about scene four? Hold on, uh, Russian mob. Fine, we're good. 
What? And scene five, uh, flying through windows. Good. I, I, there, are there literally scenes where it felt like they did that? Because there's like, it's like, well, right now is right around the time where he says, I can't work with this guy to the chief. So there's a scene out of nowhere where, I can't work with this guy, chief. Why not? Yeah. And then that's dropped. And then there's a scene where they go, the, the hilarious scene where they go to the Chinese remedy oh, place. Oh, boy. Well, this yeah. is the comic relief. It, yeah. And it, <laughs> there's immediately some black-white tension because there's a Chinese woman who begins to speak to Keenan Ivory Wayans in Chinese, and he admonishes her for not noticing that he's black, because a black person could never possibly learn another language. Um, <laughs> but then, a now Voyager, the Betty Davis movie, tearjerker, woman's picture, is showing on a TV in the background, and he announces that it's his favorite movie of all time. <laughs> That's nobody's favorite movie of all time. It's not even Betty Davis's favorite movie of all time. But, it's but the, the one that was available. Yeah, the, yeah. The right like, oh, well, for, forgive me for not noticing your blackness, Betty Davis fan, from, <laughs> from her, her time under the, under the Warner's contract. But they also have uh, uh, the hilarious um, deer penis yeah, gag. He's, 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 he's sucking, yeah, yeah, he's sucking on, on deer penis. Black guy does something homosexual-ish. Yeah. yeah. He, he, something gay. He has for those of you wondering, there's not, I haven't seen the film, there's not an actual deer cock that he's holding in his hand. He's at a Chinese remedy place and he has a cold and Seagal is like, I have an idea for something that I think it is. I'm making him sound like an old grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> it's post-stroke Steven Seagal. Here. And he's, here's a remedy for you. It's like, mm, it tastes bitter. It should. It's deer penis. What? And that's <laughs> a, and then later on when he's talking with some some teacher about trace tracking down the family man, he's like has a little cough and she says, Oh, would you like uh, would you like an aspirin or something? No, no, I've got some deer penis back in my car. What? So that was another thing. What about humor? Uh, a deer penis? Yeah. All right. Anyway, we'll call him ten, like they call him every 10 days, and he just has two-word answers. Just in terms of like Seagal and his delivery and his acting, this is a film where we learn that his, he sees the, de- the family man, the serial killer, kills Seagal's ex-wife. Um, but, but it turns out it's not. And Seagal has to react to this. Wait, it turns out it's not? Did I miss that part? No. No, well, no. The fa- it's it's all it's another red herring because oh. the family man doesn't kill it. It's the Russian mob who kills oh, him right, to, right. to frame him. But 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 Seagal reacts to the sight. Are you all following this at home? <laughs> <laughs> no. But 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 you have a scene where Seagal is supposedly broken up by his ex-wife's death, the mother of his children. You see him frown a little, and then you cut to people reacting to his sadness as he leaves. Yeah. And then later he goes to visit his wife, played by the woman who is in Blame It on Rio with Michael Caine, um, and he has to explain <laughs> to his children that, uh, th- th- that their mother is dead. They also do another thing where they cut to the wife reacting to his emotion. It's well, a very unique way to, to get around an actor's limitations. Like He's, he's very upset, but we'll cut to people re- yeah. noticing how upset he is, but we won't actually see him upset. Yeah, yeah. He, he goes out and he meets two like, catalog model kids who are at a playhouse in the backyard, and they rack focus away, so suddenly Seagal's out of focus, and we see the woman in the foreground, and she's sad. I mean, it's sort of like the, what is it, the Kuleshov experiment. The, 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 the whole, <laughs> I mean, it's a, the, the, the Russian editing experiment where they, would, they had a shot of an actor, then they would cut 
to a gun and shoot back to the actor, and like that would trick the audience into thinking that something dangerous was going on. And yeah. then they, they would have the same shot of the actor and cut to a puppy and back to him, and then they would think it was happy. Like it had nothing to do with so acting. They cut to it was her. Just, yeah, make yeah. you think acting is going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fool us that there's some kind of real emotion. Yeah, yeah. And then true. she's and then they bury the mother in apparently the parking lot of Dodger Stadium because where the, the burial sequence is like overlooking the the, the entire city. Downtown LA. Where is it? The only place I know that is when I'm parking my car at Dodger oh. Stadium. So maybe that's why we catch a game. Hold on. We got I'll just bury Bob here. I got tickets and Hershiser's pitching tonight, so we'll just bury her right here. They're tailgating right next to the castle. I thought delicious, but ta- not tactful at all. One of my other favorite things is the obligatory scene where he says, Captain, I can't work with this guy. Yeah. He, he also tr- asked someone to do this internet research because computer research is really hard to find. So they, they look for background on the Glimmer Man. Yeah. Because ca- uh, Keenan Ivory Wayne's boss doesn't have any background. So he has got to go to someone in the FBI because you you tend to hire people without doing any background searches. <laughs> no on people. resume. Yeah. I can't get I can't get hired at Trader Joe's without a background search. But then apparently you can become an LA cop. I'm trying. What is the loophole there? Like because he quote unquote transferred from New York, is that good enough instead of a resume? Yeah, it's sort of strange that a cop. A cop at his advanced age as well, because I think he's, you know, probably in his mid to late 40s at this point in the movie. God knows um, his waistband is. <laughs> he, he just transfers from New York to Los Angeles, and yeah. he suddenly arrives, and he's got a ponytail and all this other business. Yeah, yeah, but, but then there's no record of him anywhere. They also do the, the, the weird, like, lie detector scene. There's um, Oh, yeah. The, that's my favorite scene in the movie, the lie detector scene. <laughs> How's that? Well, because they, they we're going to ask a question to sort of see if it's working, and it's like... Um, have you is is your name the Glimmer Man? Yes, my name is the Glimmer Man. <laughs> have you ever climbed Mount Everest? And they ask that as an obvious no, you know, as an obvious no. And he says yes, and they're looking and said it's weird. It's saying it. He he's saying he said yes to I climbed Mount Everest, but it's saying as if that's the truth, as if this fat slob could make it past the chalet, <laughs> <laughs> as if he would put down the hot cocoa with marshmallows long enough to climb ten feet. Chalet uh, past the buffet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. funny because uh, you look at him. I remember when this movie came out, thinking like, "Oh crap, this guy's let himself go." But if you look at him now, like he's just a mere slip of a thing in Glimmer Man. Like, uh, he looks back at that and it's like, "God, I, was, yeah, yeah. I, was, I thought I was fat." Then, I mean, I right good. now he says, "God, I have to get back into Glimmer Man shape." You know? <laughs> I, I, but the thing, the thing though about, about that whole about some of his delivery though is that it's going to sound like a weird thing, but I'm actually I'm say this with no irony. Watching the Glimmer Man makes you appreciate how good an actor Arnold and Stallone are in their action films because a staple in all those things is the, uh, an, act, an act of violence and then a quick quip right afterwards and you realize God Schwarzenegger is pretty good at that when he considered a divorce or whatever it is or Stallone says something and because and, he would like he would like hit the guy at the restaurant and then sort of pick up the phone and say yeah why don't you come on down there's a Table available for you, like with a little smirk on his face. Yeah. That is the, like the most uncool line reading, and there's no emotion behind it. it just, yeah, there's a real blank about him, kind of, kind of a void. You know, I mean, there's there's no real warmth or humor there, and it's strange. You know, I think he's made some good movies. I think the Under Siege movies are both really good. I will go on a limb and say that Under Siege Two: Dark Territory is better. Than, than, than I've, I've only seen the first one. I think Under Siege is, is actually a pretty good action film. But, but there's a weird thing about Under Siege Two: Dark Territory. And by the 
the way, dark territory um, <laughs> refers to a place where you can't get cell phone service. Is that true? <laughs> like, yeah, the whole thing is building. They're on a train, and they want to get to some place called dark territory where no one has cell phone or satellite service because they're, they're going to do something. So, so it's it's basically the same as you know my apartment. But but but. <laughs> But there's all these all these actors in Under Siege too, and there are a lot of great actors in uh, Eric Bogosian's in it, uh, Everett Gill's in it, like all, all these all these great character actors. But nearly every character working with Seagal in it at some point in the movie has to turn to him and say, "You're a hero, man." And then they'll cut away to Seagal looking kind of satisfied. It just seems like at one point there was like, you know, we have to get the audience in on this guy. Well, you so know? Like his ego is so huge. This movie was recommended by uh, Bucky Sinister. San Francisco. He sent me a follow-up email just in case I wasn't already on. I was like, wait, I walked out of this movie 10 years ago? I'm in. There's an article in Vanity Fair where the interviewer goes to Seagal's trailer, knocks on his door, and he comes out with the script in his hand. And he goes, I am reading the greatest script I've ever read. And they go, who wrote it? I did. <laughs> so this guy's ego was unchecked for years. He, I think he sings the closing number in the no, Glimmer, it, is called, it is called Bulletproof. <laughs> it is performed by the Jeff Healy Band. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Written by Steven Seagal. Oh, oh <laughs> nice. Guy is a wordsworth. Yeah, he wordsmith. Is. Oh, wordsworth. I wonder if he tricked Jeff Healy into thinking he was yeah, somebody sorry. else. Is there anything else we could say about this uh, fine film? Would you recommend this film to anybody? In the right mood. In the right mood. It's obvious. This is one of those things that, that my brother and I call a fallen tentpole. This is they obviously thought you know, we can get a couple of movies out of this one. Like, they can make Glimmer Man 2. They did. It just had names like Cop Out <laughs> and other actors in it. It's it's kind of ponderous, you know? I mean, it's 90 minutes long, so it isn't... And there's nothing in it that's really completely offensive, but it's just... And, uh, yeah. If you, do, if you do two things, if you look for the ways that they hide his gut, yeah, and you fun. look for all the ways that glass is broken. Those two things. There's a theme here: glass yeah. and guts. The other thing you'll notice that you know when they can't hide his gut for whatever reason, Seagal will stand yes. with his hands Fold. folded Fold over his belly. his belly. And now I've had a belly. I have a belly, and I've had one ever since I've been around seven years old. I know every trick <laughs> of how to, especially you know, suck it in, wear the black hair, everything. I know every trick, so I know when he's doing that, he's not being zen. He's saying, "Jesus Christ, I'm a fat motherfucker, no, and I'm an action saying, star." What is for lunch? <laughs> I, I, can't, I have got room. Yeah, yeah. He's not, but you know, but but getting back to what's to recommend, his outfits too are pretty remarkable. Yeah, like the weird Nehru jackets and the the, the kind Nehru. of yeah, 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 the bizarre mumus and the three-quarter length coats. Like, you'll never see clothes like this anywhere. Yeah, and uh, the, the other thing I, I looked up, I actually did some homework on this, that the, uh, the Brian Cox character, he plays, he plays himself in the film. And um, <laughs> the diabolical Brian Cox. I, I wonder if we came up to Brian Cox. He's been in a lot of great movies mm-hmm. and, so, and is a very good actor. I wonder if you asked, do you have any memories of the, what, three days he worked on The Glimmer Man? No, he must have done 100 movies like this because bad guys were coming out of the woodwork getting one day, like good actors like Brian Cox getting like one day on that the That part was written for Tommy Lee Jones and Tommy Lee Jones was going to be in the film and he backed out at like the last minute. <laughs> Barbecue to go to? I, I don't know what it was. And uh, maybe he was doing Blown Away with Jeff Bridges. I don't know what he was doing, but uh, I guess, what do we do? We'll get Brian Cox. What do you think you do? We can't get. You know, Tommy Lee was pretty huge at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, think, th- I think he probably was a big get, you know, because that would have yeah, been, was, that would have been. He would have been the biggest name in that movie. 
at the yeah. time. Yeah, he would have been and Tommy Lee Jones. In fact, for a while, legally, he changed his name to and Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, it kind of makes me wonder if this whole movie was uh, intended for bigger things. Like, like maybe there were going to be two bigger stars in it. Like, uh, the, the, You can't get bigger than Seagal. We've discussed this for <laughs> half hour already. I don't know. But like, maybe they settled for Seagal. Like, I'm trying to no, no, Seagal produced this movie. I'm sure yeah. he thought, you're going to pair me with Eddie Murphy and the two of us are taking on Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> and instead you have Cannon Ivory Wands and, and you have... Uh, and the original Hannibal Lecter. And, and you have the, the, the warden from Shawshank Redemption who, who lives in an Egyptian tomb or something like that. They're like hieroglyphics of it's, his... It's actually, that's a Frank Lloyd Wright house that's in uh, Los Feliz. Where that was shot. So, how silly of me! Yeah. <laughs> you didn't recognize the house. I'm sorry, I didn't. Frank Lloyd was standing right in front of it. His name is Frank Lloyd House, actually. But I'm sure. I'm sure that was his intention. That that one day would wind up, um, uh, you know, it's a backdrop to a, a fat guy in a jacket. So I say, see this movie, see uh, Samurai Cop. Like you saw, you were saying like you, you have better appreciations for like Schwarzenegger films. Yeah. You see like this. So the, you see a film like like Commando, or you see a film like like even The Running Man, or something where he where Schwarzenegger would like you know kick. I mean, Schwarzenegger has been in some leg, I think legitimately good well, action. Even films. Stallone, I mean, yeah, but Stallone, even something as stupid as Cobra, and you did an episode on Cobra. I've seen Cobra, and Cobra sucks. Go check out our episode on Cobra. But but <laughs> even when Stallone would say you know you've got an attitude problem, it's, it's just a little one. I mean, there's at least a little amps behind it. There's a little there's some energy behind it. You appreciate how good that yeah, is. Yeah, you, how hard that is yeah, too. Yeah. You, so I think if that's the A is Stallone. This is C, C level, and then you should see Samurai Cop, which is F, so now, low budget. Now, what, what, what's Samurai Cop? It's their version of Cobra. Stallone's bodyguard got to do his own movie, and he plays Samurai Cop, kind of like a Steven Seagal character. This isn't a the thing. Cop. Wait, this isn't the thing with Lee Van Cleef. No, no, that's Master Ninja. I'm sorry, I'm getting the. Uh... <laughs> but this came out in theaters. Yeah, in, in the Cup? 80s. It's fantastic. We covered did, it on the did show. It, did it have more th- release? It was it in more theaters than I'll believe you. Just to, <laughs> I'm just clinging to a few things in my life here. So, no. so you still have that too. That is Samurai Cup. So go to our website to find out um, where to see this movie, which I'll spoil alert. You can see in Netflix streaming. You get a link there. Also, Samurai Cup and Cobra, SullyBaseball.com. And a link to buy uh, Chris Regan's book, co-written by a guy named William Shatner, called Shatner Rules. It's very—I can actually say I've, I've read it cover to cover. It's very, very oh, funny. I, I need it back. I can't believe you didn't buy a copy of your own friend's oh, book. I got it at the library. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. But he autographed it, which is awkward. <laughs> so proudly resents proudlyresents dot com and at proudly resents. Also, check out Dream Tweet. Sully and Chris go head to head on the game show Dream Tweet. It was close. It was close. No spoilers. No, no spoilers. <laughs> you can hear them compete on iTunes on the show called Dream Tweet. Also, check out if you're a podcaster, Independent Podcast Alliance on Facebook, or go to our site proudlyresents.com/ipa. I run out of plugs. All right, thanks. Guys. <laughs> Adam, that, that, we're, we're out of time for this interview.